Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I saw one today where two guys were testing out their bulletproof vests by shooting each other in the chest with handguns. I mean, this is not the type of guy I want to go in the woods with. This is not the type of guy I want to go on a canoe trip with. Don't follow the idiot into the woods. Don't follow those kind of people anywhere. If you've you've got those kind of people in your life, flee. In all seriousness, all you got to do if you're on Facebook is look through your Facebook feed and see what idiots do when they go into the woods. Oh, they were on top of a a really tall hill. (laughs) Okay. Wearing wearing fishing waders. You will lose 60 to 70% of your body heat from anything that is exposed. This idea of cotton kills in the wintertime, yes, but cotton is a godsend in the summertime. Hey guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig. Craig. Hey, we're back What's together up? again. How you doing, man? <laughs> doing well. It's been, it's been a good day so far. Uh, I have a big man tracking class for search and rescue this weekend. So me and uh, Tracy Tremble were out today practicing and getting our tracking eyes on and all that kind of good stuff. The Tracy Tremble, who's the co-author of your new book. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the new book uh, by the time. Yeah, no, not yet. Shortly after you all hear uh, this podcast, that book will be going live April 9th. So, yeah, Essential Wilderness Navigation is going, going really well so far. Nice. So, so was I special? Did I get an advanced copy? Yeah, I sent out... Um, for those that are interested in the publishing world and all that stuff, an author usually gets about 30 copies or something like that. And I usually send those out to reviewers and in the hopes that people will post about them. And some people do and some people don't. As always, our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ. So you leave out if you're better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. Coming up today, we're going to be talking about injury prevention and care, what a lot of people call first aid. Some of this is going to be some fundamental first aid. Some of it's just going to be real practical stuff because there's a lot of data, a lot of information out there that we can go on. Uh, We have a lot of topics to discuss, and we may end up breaking this into shows. We'll see. We'll see. I think we've already decided to do that just uh, discussing it. But the topics we're going to be covering today, number one, we're going to be looking at the essentials of prevention. We're going to be looking at first aid basics. We're going to be looking at beyond first aid, basically emergency first aid. And then we'll be discussing where to get training, where you can get training both online as well as in person. Uh, Just please note for those that have been following us and follow along with the tiny survival guide, that if you look at your tiny survival guide, when you get them, this is one of the sections in the tiny survival guide. Uh, You can find all that at tinysurvivalgear.com. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's the tiny guy, the pocket size guide, and section five contains some highlights on first aid. It's one of the bigger sections in the guide for good reason. 
if you're looking for some other resources, uh, my first book, Extreme Wilderness Survival, the whole chapter six is dedicated at looking at injury prevention and skills and tactics for wilderness and remote first aid, as well as my second book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear. All of chapter three is dedicated to nothing but personal safety, which includes first aid kits. So on page 60 specifically, you'll see kit listings for your home, for your car, wilderness, specific kits, trauma kits, and a whole lot more. So check out all those resources. Links for those are in the description below. Craig, are you ready to get into this? Yeah, let's do this. So, guys and gals, what I wanted to cover first is basically the essentials of prevention. Ways that we can go about making sure that we do not need first aid training and first aid gear. And it's rather simple. Uh, one of the first is to actually carry a first aid kit. Now, uh, David and I, before we started recording, have decided that we're going to go ahead and bust out uh, a big section that we were going to talk today and put it in its own because it deserves its own coverage. Uh, and that's first aid kits. So uh, this one, we're going to be talking about skills and we're going to be talking about overview prevention, but we're not going to be talking about kits specifically. You'll see that one coming down the road. Point number two, guys yeah. and gals, on the essentials of prevention. And I, I like to be real direct when I say this, and it, it goes like this. Don't follow the idiot into the woods. In all seriousness, the all you got to do if you're on Facebook is look through your Facebook feed and see what idiots do when they go into the woods. And for example, I, I saw one today where two guys were testing out their bulletproof vests by shooting each other in the chest with handguns. I mean, this is not the type of guy I want to go in the woods with. Uh, this is not the type of guy I want to go on a canoe trip with. So um, just be aware. I mean, if if the person that's going in the woods that is the leader, because some uh, some leader will emerge, if that leader that is is has emerged is not bright, is drunk, high, or some of variation of it, then that's not somebody you want to go into the woods with. And I, and I say that pretty directly because I, again, like I said, Tracy and I are going to be training about 40 different search and rescue people this, uh, this coming weekend. And Tracy let, got off a search last night where some guys just simply got lost doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. So don't, don't follow those kind of people in the woods. Uh, just, and I'm going to just say, don't, don't follow those kind of people anywhere. If you've, if you've <laughs> got those true. kind of people that's in your point. life, f- flee, like don't pay the stupid tax, right? We've all had, you know, less, less than good relationships with, <laughs> with people in the past, you know, learn from your past mistakes and move on and, and find some, <laughs> find some sane people to do stuff with. Right. Um, because safety doesn't happen by accident. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a choice. And that's it's the most cr- cliche dude, thing I've heard you say. <laughs> Safety doesn't. That sounds like a, what is that? A, that's something that needs to be on an OSHA recording somewhere. Uh, another thing I want to throw in here on be safe always is uh, just make sure that if you've got a knife, a multi-tool, especially axes and hatchets and things like that, and just make sure that you're using your tools properly. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the word awareness. I think situational awareness is is a buzzword for a lot of things that, that we do, but it's just key, everybody. Just 
pay attention to what's going on around you. David alluded to something that we do and we do in classes, but it's, it's really good, particularly for uh, people that have children is that just, this is just real simple. So if you're leading a scout group or if you've got small kids or something of that nature, one of the things that we require in our classes is every time you pick up a tool that's sharp, we have a word or a set of words that we say, which is tool in the air. That lets everybody know that somebody's picked up a saw, an ax, or an eye for some variation of it. And, and when somebody says that, everybody that's around them repeats it. And so it's just a, a, a auditory uh, confirmation that, yeah, I know you just picked up a tool. I'm not going to turn around and walk into you. Not a big deal when you're out by yourself, right? But when you're in a group, it's it's not a bad idea, especially when you're in a large group because people don't pay attention to what's going on around them. So you need to do what you can when you're guiding these groups. I led a um, sur- safety and survival class for a bunch of Boy Scouts last week, and that was one of the topics. Boy Scouts are they have their own methodology, but I added some things to it. You know, they have the blood circle that scouts talk about all the time. And, and, uh, but I added this kind of mindset to it too. And, and the scout leaders are like, yeah, that's perfect. So it, it's just something that you can add into your way of being outside and, and that way you can take care of yourself. Last but not least on the essentials, what I'm calling the essentials of prevention is, uh, and that's what it's listed as in the tiny survival guide as well is just take breaks. Uh, if you're in a role or you're in a job or something and, and you have to do, be doing something where you're you're around dangerous equipment, whether it's outside hiking with axes and tools, or maybe like there was one situation where I was on a survey crew many years ago and I was literally 20 miles from the road with another guy that was, we were cutting debris away for the survey crew team coming behind us and he he cut his arm wide open with a machete i mean we were miles and miles away from any any help at all and so um it wasn't that he was doing a bad job he just got tired he literally got tired and it was at the end of the day at the end of the week kind of thing and he just it took one half second for him to lay his arm wide open if he'd have cut it on the inside of his arm he could have lost a lot of blood so take breaks take breaks uh rest get your focus pay attention to what's going on around you and you'll be much better off you just brought to mind a situation that happened to me i knew better this was a couple of years ago and i was doing a training we were pushing it it was an extended training it was a 30 30 day 40 day training something like that i was literally doing everything wrong the instructor stopped me and in a very big voice just said stop what are you doing Put down that tool. They said, sit down, drink some water, get over in the shade. And I realized I was dehydrated. I was tired. I had totally lost my focus and I was doing things that I knew better. But there's just something that happens to your mind, man, when you're tired, when you're dehydrated, when you're in a situation where there's some stress. It's not your normal environment. Do you have anything else to say to that? I'm sure you see this in your yeah, classes all it's, the time. And it's too. just, there's a time for good trip leaders to not do all the grunt work so that they have their uh, all their mental faculties about them so they can pay attention to the group and that's that's a good time of that's a good opportunity to see it right there with what you're describing everybody's paying it i mean the leader of the group's paying attention i mean obviously so that's definitely something if you are in the business of leading people whether it's your two kids and your spouse or you've got 20 
Girl Scouts, whoever it might be, these this is where a leader's got to be paying attention to what's going on around. That's part of being a good leader. That's for sure. Yep. And that just leads us right into keep your core temperature just right. Survival risks increase very quickly when hypothermia and hyperthermia, in the situation I just talked about, that's what it was. I was too hot. I was dehydrated, both of those. My core temperature was not right. And when it got right and I got some rest, things were fine. Did you have anything else to say about core temperature? Just one little tidbit I, I throw out when we talk about hypo or hyperthermia, just, and it's a kid item, but people just don't think about it is, is the reflective blankets, um, the emergency blankets that people use in cold weather. It's a fantastic piece of equipment. Everybody that knows what they are knows that they work well for that purpose. They reflect heat back into the body. They're also a very useful piece of equipment in hot weather too. Not that you put them on you, but let's say that you're stranded in a car, you put that on top of the car, the sunlight gets reflected back away from your car or you set up a tarp shelter and you put it on the backside, not the inside, but the backside of the tarp, any sun that is coming down and hitting that tarp, or even if it's a debris shelter or what have you, then the sun gets reflected back and away instead of it being absorbed into the area in which you're laying or trying to cool down. And so that's a, that's an all year round piece of equipment in my opinion. As a general rule, um, most people know this idea of, you'll lose 60 to 70% of your body heat when you don't have a hat on. And that is somewhat true. What is absolutely true is that you will lose 60 to 70% of your body heat from anything that is exposed. And so if you wear a hat, if you, if you're cold and you wear a hat, then it holds some of that heat in. If you need to, if you're, if it's cold weather and you've got a hat on and you're getting hot, then take your hat off, roll your sleeves up a little bit. That also is going to release some heat. Same thing is true. If you're on a summer hike, I see this all the time because people are just golly, they are slaves to fashion and it drives me insane. They are just absolutely slaves to it. And so you'll see these people that are red faced, burning up hot, going hiking on a trail. They got the, they got the cute little pack. They got the cute little walking sticks and they got a hat on, but, and they're burning up. Take the hat off people. Come on. Because that's holding so much heat in. Uh, same thing is true for this clothing. For example, you know, sweat is there to, uh, cool our bodies down. And so if we're wearing wicking garments in the summer and all the sweat that's coming off our body is getting wicked away and taken away immediately, then we don't have that cooling effect. That's this idea of cotton kills in the wintertime. Yes, but cotton is a godsend in the winter and the summertime because it helps to cool you down and there's nothing wrong with it. And sweating is sweating is good for you. People get over it. It's good for you. I mean, quit trying to do things to make yourself not sweat or not have sweat on your body. If you're doing it right, you're going to have sweat on you and it's there to cool you down. Long pants, long shirt, get your footwear right. My friend Tracy that I just mentioned, he was recently on a, on a search and it was some fishermen that got lost and they were so far away from any waterway. Oh, they were on top of a, a really tall hill wearing fishing waders. These guys got lost and, and they didn't have the proper equipment. 
they were scooting around in places that they probably need to have almost like climbing equipment and they were in fishing waders. So, I mean, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster right there. Fortunately, fortunately they had cell service and could get a search and rescue team to them, but there you go. I mean, if they hadn't had cell service, they'd probably been in pretty deep trouble. They, they would have definitely been spending the night outside mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Uh, a couple other things, jacket, gloves, protect your hands, sunglasses, rain gear, and a ba- bandana or a scarf. Those are just a couple of quick things off the checklist here that can really, really aid in injury prevention. Anything else to add to that, Craig? Yeah, guys and gals, this came up again last week because I worked with those scouts. You know, all the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts used to wear bandanas and I don't know if it just got to the point where people thought it was nerdy or geeky or something, but it's not. I'm just telling you, bandanas are probably one of the most versatile pieces of equipment outside of a knife and paracord. I mean, they really are. They are incredibly versatile pieces of equipment. I did a, I did a video for my YouTube channel called 101 uses of a bandana. And, um, it's, and it was not hard to do. I mean, there's just so many things that you can do with a bandana. So if that interests you, check it out. But yeah, have a bandana. It does a lot of stuff for you. If you only had a bandana on you, there's a lot you could do with regards to first aid just with that. Absolutely. We do it in every class that we teach, survival-related. Uh, we have people. To, we That's part of the gear list, check our gear checklist for us. And so we teach people how to actually use it. And we use it for splinting wounds. We use it for securing arms. Uh, we do it for coverage on cuts and, you know, it, it just has a lot of uses for sure. Yep. So the last thing I have here, drink lots of water. If you're an adult, you need between two and three liters of water per day. Most people are walking around dehydrated all the time. And the more the more active you are, the more water you're going to need. The best place to keep water, everybody, is inside your belly, <laughs> in, in, inside your body. Uh, you should ever start every single trip that you go outside hydrated. It should be part of your checklist. This is just something you need to do going to work every day. While you're in the car, just drink some water. Uh, just have some water available to you so you're hydrated. You never know when a disaster survival situation is going to happen, and you're going to need to be hydrated when it goes down. But at the same time, continue that hydration while you're out there, as David is suggesting. Uh, I'm a big fan of camelbacks and platypuses and stuff that you carry on your back and i'll just just a little hint for those of you who have kids it's one of the coolest ways to get kids outside is to buy them their own little water pack and they they get to drink out of this big huge cool straw they get to carry their own pack and put their you know their electronic devices that's what they're taking with them their crayons their stuffed animal or their favorite blanket or whatever they get to carry their own stuff and they have this big huge water straw and i just it's just fantastic it's just a good way to get kids outside so craig what do you have next here the wilderness medical society puts out a lot of data and information on particularly wilderness first aid and remote first aid just for fundamental first aid get your american heart association or red cross training and those will give you a, a decent foundation. And then we'll talk about some training a little bit more later. But the Wilderness Medical Society puts this data on what types of injuries are likely. Okay. And so what I wanted to do was go over the top four and take it from there and talk about each and see what we can do with them. The first is no surprise. When I tell people this, they go, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. The biggest and most a statistically likely injury in the backcountry is some sort of break or sprain to your ankle. 
that can be prevented by good situational awareness, paying attention to where you're walking, not being overly fast or doing things too quick or jumping off of a rock like a crazy person or something like that, but to do what you can to take care of your ankles, have good support. And what I mean by support is a good hiking boot. And it does not have to be a tall boot. Matter of fact, there's some very decent research out and uh, we've got a guest coming on sometime in the future. I'm working out details with him now. I haven't even told David about this, but uh, he was a, a hot shot. And so he was in the back country putting out fires for a few years. And one of the things that he and I have talked about at length is footwear. And there's some incredibly good research that shows that a tall boot, you know, the eight inch and above boot is actually worse for your ankles and your Achilles than a short hiking boot. That's why you'll see a lot of the spec ops guys that are in the military, they're running in these Merrells and these short, you know, hiking boots rather than their big military boots, because as far as lower leg health, a shorter boots, more healthy, even for people that have really weak ankles. Like I've twisted my ankles a bunch. Uh, my wife's even worse than that. Uh, but tall boots are problematic and, and we'll, we'll discuss that with him because he's got some really good research on that. Um, but the answer, if you end up spraining your ankle is to deal with it in what I refer to as make it fat and sassy. So several years ago, man, it's been about five years ago. I had the good fortune of going down, uh, somewhere down central Tennessee. I can't even remember where it was now, but there was a wilderness medical provider providers conclave. And there were, uh, special forces medics. There were emergency room doctors. There were, uh, EMTs and paramedics and flight nurses and all sorts of things that were, I mean, like several hundred of them there. And I was part of the training cadre for them. And, uh, I taught a short section on survival and tracking down there. And while I was there, because mine was short, this is the cool thing about kind of doing these things is, is, uh, I'm down there to teach about half a day, but I get to spend the rest of the week training with some of the best medical personnel in the world, literally in the world. And so I had this doc say, man, this is how you handle it, Craig, make it fat and sassy make ankles fat and sassy. Here's what he means by that. You've got to have something that's going to provide some cushion so that the injury swells and doesn't, and does not get constricted in the process. You're also at the same time going to have to have something to help keep it rigid so that particularly if it's broken, that you don't cause more injury and you don't have to put as much pressure on it. So you make it fat and sassy. So say for example, you twist your ankle you can wrap it up in a jacket. You can wrap it up in a, and um, uh, if you're going to stay in place, you can wrap it up in a sleeping bag or a pillow that you might be taking with you or an extra shirt or something. That's going to help secure it some. It also has the benefit of allowing it to swell because it is going to swell and not cause damage and not cause a lack of blood flow to the rest of your foot. The sassy then goes on top of that and you secure it. The sassy can be anything that is safely rigid. For example, just pick up a couple of sticks. Uh, if you want to buy a piece of equipment specifically for the purpose, then get a SAM splint. Uh, but anything that you can do to help make it rigid so it doesn't move any more than it, that it has to, and then secure it. And after that, you want to make sure that they're getting good circulation. They can feel their toes and stuff of that nature. 
for example, one of the best things you can do if they have a boot on is loosen the shoestrings and leave the boot on because you have your fat and sassy there already on their foot. Uh, you just want to be able to make sure that they're, you know, they can feel their toes and they're getting circulation. So you'll have to check on that from time to time. But that's it for number one, an ankle break or a, break or a sprain. Did you have anything you want to add to that? Can you explain what a SAM splint is? It typically comes rolled up and it's about four inches wide and it might be a little over and they come in all kinds of different lengths, but 12 to 18 inches in length. It's got a foam piece that surrounds the outside of it. And within it, it's got a bendable, rigid uh, inner core. And so you can bend this and it holds form. So it's a fantastic piece of equipment to wrap around the ankle. You can form it so you can rest somebody's arm in it and then bind their arm to their body. And it makes it, it's it's made for this purpose. It is kind of bulky. It does take up some space, but they're incredibly light. They don't weigh much at all. And so a Sam splint is a is a nice piece of equipment. But yeah, that's it. Uh, get you a, a Sam splint. You have the opportunity to make it fat and sassy with different material. Just don't use something like a knife as the rigid material. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that because I've seen somebody do that in a class before. <laughs> um, number two. This is a, this is a, maybe a surprising one. Two is burns and burns in two different ways. Obviously be safe around a fire, uh, your fire that you're sitting around watching the fire that you might be cooking over. Obviously you need to be really safe around that. People reach in and grab things that burn their hands and whatnot. But the one that seems to be getting people are inappropriate use of backpacking stoves. Uh, case in point, the one that is the one that's increasing way too much, and this is going to hurt everybody when I say it, is somebody gets some sort of. I'm not going to use the brand name, but yeah, I am going to use the brand name, uh, Jetboil, and there's an MSR version of it and everything. And these are great stoves. I love these stoves. I'm not knocking these stoves at all. You just got to use them properly. And the way people are using them improperly is they sit down on the ground, they stick the thing between their legs and it boils and then it spills over and falls onto their groin. So a, a, a very serious groin burn. Yeah, I know it hurts. It hurts me to say it is very dangerous in the back country because it's very easy for it to get infected quickly due to its location and, and moisture and everything that happens in that part of the body. But, uh, and, and it just, it, it basically immobilizes you too. It's very difficult if you've got severe burns in that part of your body for you to walk. And so it just brings up a host of problems. So if you're going to use a backpacking stove, and again, uh, I'm not saying don't get those stoves because of that, just get them because I've got them. And I love the things. Just put them on a stable surface when you're using them realize that they're going to start to boil when they start to boil. It's not something that you've just set up, turned it on and walked away. When you turn that stove on, you need to stay with it. You don't walk away from it. And that that's going to help uh, keep burns from happening from an overspillage of hot water or something of that nature. What you got for that? Anything? The treatment of burns overall, just generally, is about the same, right? So we want to clear debris from the burn site, irrigate if possible. You have kind of a neat way to irrigate. Well, there's there's several different ways to irrigate. The Sawyer comes with a squeeze system. It also comes with a syringe, and the syringe can be filled and used to irrigate a wound site, no matter where it is. 
Another thing, I just wrote an article for a huge magazine, which I'm pretty excited about. That's going to be coming out in the next two weeks. About two point million, two point one million people are going to be reading that one. One of the things that we put in there, it's 25 tips for survival. And one of the tips in there is if you have a disposable water bottle, the type that you, you know, you just buy and discard or, or recycle, uh, cut a hole in the top of it and use it as an irrigation device too. Uh, just squeeze the water out of it and anything, a plastic bag, you know, I'm a big fan of garbage bags and taking them into the woods with you, put water into them, cut a small hole, squeeze water, anything that you can put the water in something and put it under pressure to use to irrigate a wound site. And then uh, I don't know if you're going to get into it, but as best you can, you need to get that covered up. Usually I'll put some sort of ointment on there, antibiotic ointment to keep it as moist as possible and cover it. Uh, if it's an open wound for some reason, I don't put antibiotic ointment down inside the wound. Um, that's, uh, uh, that's the thing that a lot of people miss. You don't want to put uh, in a cut. You don't want to put antibiotic ointment down in a cut. That stops the healing process. And so you want to use it around the wound site to keep everything that is around it as clean as possible. Keep it as moist as you can and get help as soon as you possibly can. That's all good stuff. And I'm, I'm just going to throw in another gear item here, Craig. I have a set of comfortable leather gloves. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to handle not only sharp and pointy things, but rough things and hot things where those gloves really came in handy. That's good. Number three on this list is cuts. But obviously, safety with a knife and an axe. I, when I'm teaching knife safety, I try to tell everybody the pointy side and the sharp side are danger, and you never have them pointed towards anybody or yourself, ever. There's no reason to do that. You never have that sharp side or the pointy side when it glances off, goes into you or somebody around you. The Boy Scouts, and I don't know if the Girl Scouts do it this way or not, but I know the Boy Scouts do. The Boy Scouts have the blood circle, so you hold your arms out. Everybody around you holds your arms out. If anybody's within arm's reach, you got to get out. Nobody should be in that range. Uh, and again, I like to force people, particularly kids to pick up, I mean, to not just pick up, but to, uh, announce when they're getting ready to use a knife. I think that's a good habit to get into. If nothing else, then it forces them to think, Hey, I'm getting ready to use a knife. My life before the second right now was different. Now I'm definitely paying attention to what's going on. This is not a toy kind of attitude. And then again, uh, I mentioned it and because I was thinking of it, but never, never lay a knife or an axe or even a saw down on the ground. They're too easy to lose for one, and they're valuable pieces of equipment. But more importantly, it's easy for somebody to trip, fall, step on, or any number of things and get cut. So if your knife's not being used, it gets folded up and put in your pocket, or it gets stuffed back in the knife sheath. And never leave that sort of thing laying around and never go stick it in the ground. That dulls it. That's not smart. Never go jamming into a log. Sometimes I'll put an ax into a log or something like that, but I, I'm not a big fan of just taking a knife and just sticking into a tree or something like a wild man. Uh, I'll just go about putting it back in the sheath where it belongs. Last but not least on this list is shock. Um, shock is due to some sort of trauma. It could be a range of things. This is why it's very hard to say this is what caused it, but it could be a lot of different things that cause some sort of trauma for a person mentally, physically. The thing that's happening is that the blood is not flowing through the body properly. So you need to do everything you can to help that process along, particularly blood's not flowing through the core of the body. 
the way it should. And so the organs are starting to, to quiet down and try to, Hey, let's, let's stop. Let's whatever's going on, let's stop so that we can get blood back where it needs to be. Uh, a couple ways to do that is to get the body warm. And for those that have studied any sort of shock, the conventional wisdom has been for years. I mean, for a very long time to prop somebody's legs up. And uh, a recent research article I read about four months ago suggested that wasn't necessary. And this is a peer-reviewed, very detailed, in-depth study. It doesn't really change that much. You just talked about sprains, burns, and cuts. All of those, depending on the severity, could put you in a situation where you start to go into shock. Do you want to just talk maybe quickly about some signs and then get into some treatment? Yeah, the signs of shock is is almost, almost like somebody is just slightly drunk. They Their words might slur, and this is true for hypotherm- or hy- uh, hypothermia too, is they may slur their words. They're going to be disoriented. You're obviously uh, going to be talking, or you're going to be talking to them, and they're obviously not going to be with you, uh, for the be- lack of a better way of saying it. It just seems like they're not there. They're going to get cold and clammy skin. They they may very well have uh, a paleness to them. So these are all signs of shock and trauma. And and the thing is, it manifests in so many different ways. It's hard to say yes, every one of those is true because they're not every single one of those are true. But that's definitely something that that could possibly happen. If if you're not seeing an obvious injury or you, they haven't knocked their head and having a head injury or something like that nature, they're probably getting hypothermic or they're probably getting uh, into shock. And basically, you're going to treat them similarly. Now, again, when I say that, you need to get some good training. Okay, but from a general sense, um, they just the person needs to calm down. They need to get down. You need to keep their body warm, get them off the ground and uh, wrap them up. Craig, this is all great stuff. And I kind of thought this was going to happen because we've just really scratched the surface on the common stuff. I and mean, we've still got just general bleeding, spinal injuries, which are a big thing, hypothermia, dehydration, snake bites, ticks, and a couple of other things. Plus, we've got kits and we are about out of time. What do you say about us coming back to this topic again sometime soon? Yeah, I think we should. And just because it just struck me so strongly, I'm going to go ahead and say this about spinal injuries. When I was writing my first book and I was putting information together on likely injuries and spinal injuries, I went into some research from, again, that Wilderness Medical Society. Uh, One of the things that just absolutely just broke my heart and struck me was somewhere around 63% of people that experience some sort of paralysis from a wilderness related experience. And there's not a lot of, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is something we need to be scared to death to go to the woods because we might break our neck, but 63% of the people that experienced paralysis was due to people moving them that didn't know what they were doing. So uh, we're going to dig into it and I'm going to say it again, but it's just one of those things that it needs to be said as often as it can. So I'm going to throw this one out there now. If for some reason you have somebody who has a spinal injury, then do everything you can to leave them in place until proper professionals get there to take care of them. And we'll dig into that a little bit more. I just want to throw that out there and all this other stuff about snake bites. I got some of the best information you've ever seen on snake bites. Uh, I've got uh, interviews that I've done with some of the most world-renowned 
snake venom experts and, and venomation experts and all that good stuff. And we'll talk about that next time. So I've got one tip to throw in here. Then I want you to come up with maybe a couple action steps that people can take away. But here's the expert tip. I want to leave you guys with you are number one, right? And the basic idea is you've got to take care of yourself first. Yeah, you're number one. You never know. You you see somebody laying on the ground over there, writhing in pain, and you go running over there. Are they writhing in pain because they get bit by a copperhead because they stepped into a hole and broke their ankle? Uh did they accidentally step onto a, this is something that comes up in disaster readiness. Did they accidentally step onto a electric line that's falling down? If any of those things are true and you go run it over to help them, then guess what? You're very likely going to run into that line. You're going to run into that snake. You're going to run into that hole. And now we got two people injured. So that's, that's a problem. And we're so, not, yeah, we're not saying don't care for other people. What we're doing yeah, is yeah, sure. we're saying, yeah, you want to care for people. Just make sure you are able to care for people by caring for yourself first. Right. Is that a right. good way to say absolutely. that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about a couple action steps for these guys? Okay. A couple action steps, guys. Thanks for the surprise, David, but this is good. This is real good. <laughs> is everybody probably has some sort of first aid kit. If you don't, you should fix yourself. And if you have a first aid kit, go ahead right now, because I, I agree wholeheartedly with David. The Band-Aids that you have in your first aid kit, if they are not Band-Aid brand Band-Aids, then go get some Band-Aids and replace them right now. Just replace them. And just for giggles, to take it a step further, I get the stretchy ones, because that allows me to continue to do work and do things with my hands and my arms and they, they're always Band-Aid brand stretchy ones. And I don't know, that's not a technical term, obviously. That's the Craig Cottle redneck term, stretchy. Whatever they actually are, because they'll have some cool name, they they have they stick well and then they, they flex. That's probably what they're called, aren't they? Flex Band-Aids from Band-Aid brand, Johnson & Johnson. I'm looking them up. I'm looking them up. Right <laughs> Whatever they're called. I, I'm, I'm putting my money on flex right now. Oh, anyway. dude, you were really close. Band-Aid brand skin flex and Band-Aid brand Active flex, yeah. So anyway, active yep. flex, active flex, <laughs> whatever that is. So anyway, get those, replace those in your kit. Number two, today, today, if you do not have first aid training, listen to me and look this up. <laughs> wait, Red are cross. you? Wait, wait, wait. Are you looking me in the eye? Okay, look me in the eye right now. Pay attention to this. <laughs> Red Cross first aid, fantastic. My daughter teaches it. She's all this week. She's teaching people first aid there's people all over the world to teach this stuff american heart association look them up either one of those you're going to be okay you're going to get some fundamentals but let me add to that right now you need to be looking for stop the bleed training stop the bleed is trauma training that's where you go into the use of tourniquets um, israeli bandages uh, high bleed wounds when i say high bleed high volume bleeding wounds you get into trauma medicine, and it's fantastic training. It's really good training. And obviously, you can look us up, Nature Reliance School. We teach some classes like that. Uh, I've got some good friends um, throughout the law enforcement community that teach this kind of stuff. Uh, hit hit us up. I'll get you connected with somebody all over the country that teaches trauma medicine and first aid, and uh, we'll be happy to help you. 
That's really good. One more thing, and we have been kind of hitting the outline a little bit for it's actually section G in the tiny survival guide. One thing that we have in there is a link. It's actually one of those QR code links so you can scan it with your phone. Link that takes you over to the American Red Cross offers a free first aid app, which is really cool. I've got it on my phone. Whether you've taken the training or not, it's a good refresher you can look at now and again. And so that's my contribution to our action steps. Hey, I always ask people to go and subscribe. Let me say this. I'm going to say something different this time. For all of you who have already subscribed, thank you. We really appreciate it. That's very valuable. For those that haven't, get on the Survival Show train. Come on. Toot toot. We're moving. You need to get on there with us. So please subscribe to the Survival Show podcast. Give us five stars because we're worth it. Anywhere that you can give us five stars, iTunes is probably the coolest. And it's weird, man. If somebody asked me the other day, why do you always talk about iTunes and nothing else? Because like 60% of the people that listen to this podcast listen to it on iTunes. So, And that's why. So it's not that Spotify is not important. I actually personally listen to it on Spotify myself. So check us out there. Give us five stars anywhere you want to listen to it. And many, many thanks to you all who have already done this. And don't forget... Look in the description below for any important links that we've discussed here today. They will be hyperlinked and be real easy for you to click and go get more information. Last thing, last thing, visit our sponsor, The Sportsman's Guide, link in the description below as well. They have a ton of great gear for all outdoor sporting, hunting, and recreation use. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.